I don't know if you can think of a, a time in your life, uh, hopefully if, if you're a believer and you've walked with the Lord for any given amount of time, hopefully you can think of a lot of times like this, but a time in your life where God really shows you something new. Like, uh, uh, or maybe you just see something that you've known for a while, but in a new light in a fuller way, or maybe it's the light goes on and you see it for the very first time where you go, Whoa, I've, n- I've never seen that before. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. You're reading through the Bible and maybe you've read this section many, many times and you come to a verse and you go, I don't think I've ever seen that before, even though you've read it so many times. And in that moment, it's like, ah, oh, the light comes on and you see it, you know, in the new Testament, there's actually a word for that kind of. Uh, moment in time where God just speaks to you and kind of pulls some things together. Uh, in the Greek and the New Testament, there's actually two words for time. There's, there's chronos, that is chronological time, uh, quantitative, things are moving along. But then there's also sometimes in the New Testament where it uses the word kairos instead of chronos. And that also means time, but it means a moment in time where things become clear, right? So like in uh, Mark chapter one, Jesus says, the time has come. The time has been fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. And it uses that word kairos. This is a moment in time where something is happening in this way. And so when we come to those moments where God's kind of pulling things together and showing us something that maybe we haven't seen before or we haven't seen it quite as fully. And so I can think of a lot of different times like that in my life, but I was thinking this week of one in particular. Uh, about a little over a year ago, I got to go uh, to Uganda uh, with some uh, other pastors in the Acts 29 network. And we got to go to Uganda to help do a conference for pastors there in Africa to help them with how to teach and preach God's word. And so went with five guys here from the States, from uh, these Acts 29 churches, some guys I've known for a long time, and we flew over there and we got to go into Uganda. Uh, and it was crazy to get off the plane and you take your phone out where it's like, it shows where you are and you're looking at it and you're like, I am now in the middle of Africa. I've never been there before. And here I am in the middle of Uganda. And that's kind of mind blowing as it is. It kind of shrinks the world in a way, this place that existed on a map you're now looking at and you see it. But then we got into a van with, with this guy, Ken, and his wife, Beatrice, and they took us back to their home, and they welcomed us in. And we got to meet all these different people that live in this area, that love the Lord and care about uh, people knowing the gospel and who he is and, and spreading the fame of his name. And they welcomed us in, and it was so cool to now see these brothers and sisters in the faith that live on the other side of the planet that I had never met before. And there they are, and you're seeing their faces, and you get to know them, and and they love you well, and you spend time together, and you pray together. And then we went over to this church down the street, and we went into the church, and, and the whole building was about the size of our fellowship hall. One building like that, and you walk in, and there's a stage, and it's crammed pack of people. There were over 500 people that came from all over the countryside in Uganda, pastors from all over to hear this, to learn how to study their Bible better and how to preach it, how to do exegetical preaching, to walk through Scripture. And I walked into that room, and how wonderful it was to stand there and look at all these faces, our brothers and sisters in faith that I'd never met before. And how wonderful that time was. And in so many ways, it kind of shrunk the world. You saw how God's working and how these people would go back to their villages to continue to tell people who Jesus is and the way he was working and all these things. And it kind of shrunk the world together and it brought all these things. And I remember just thinking God's working in so many ways, right? So so often we get kind of sucked into our world and what's going on right where we live and we forget that God's glory is going over the face of the planet and he's calling people to himself and he's doing this work 
And I was thinking about those, those people and those faces and those new friends and what's happening there. Uh, from time to time I get emails or I, I get to communicate with some of them. And it's kind of like what Paul's saying here in Romans 16. Greet so and tell them, right? Tell Ken and Beatrice and tell B-Dub and tell all these people that were there. Tell them hello and greet them for me and tell them to continue to do what they're doing. And that's kind of what you see Paul doing here in Romans chapter 16. He's saying, greet these brothers and sisters of the faith. And he goes through and he tells you this whole list of all these people. So I want us to look at that today. And you may look at that text and go, what are we going to do with this text? Or it's, it's okay to admit it. I just read it. And I struggled through all those names and all that. And I get to the end. And you say, this is the word of the Lord. And you're going, is that the sermon? Like, that's it? That list? Those people? That's like what we're going to talk about? Well, yes. Uh, we're going through the book of Romans. And this is the next section. And yes, it's 16 verses of greetings of 27 different people. But I want us to look at this together. And as we think about it, I want us to build on something that we talked about last week. If you were with us last week. We mentioned uh, Paul's unique ministry as an apostle and how he was going to all these new places. He says in chapter 15, verse 20, uh, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. You're talking about that's Paul's unique gifting and his unique calling as an apostle to go where no one's ever heard before. And he's continuing to press on. But we looked at last week as he's writing to this church in Rome and he's talking about the way they're working together. And the different gifts that God has gifted his people with and his churches with and how we work together and how all those things are are valuable, important, just like Paul's work was as an apostle. And I want to kind of build on that today. And I want us to think about all the different gifts that are needed and are valuable and the way God brings them together. And I think when you stop and you kind of really think through the list that's here, this list is proof of that of the way God uses so many different people and he pulls them together and he brings us together for the good of the gospel and he uses all these gifts in different ways. And so I want us to think about this list that's here today. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to sketch out for you kind of uh, who a few of these people are. We're not going to go through all 27. We're not going to look at every name. We're actually going to look at five people and two of them are pairs. So really kind of three sketches of five people. And I just want you to think about what God's doing in their life and his sovereignty in and through them and the way he was working and what they were about and who they were. They are brothers and sisters in faith that preceded us by 2,000 years that God used for the spread of the gospel. And so I want us to think about them for just a minute. I'm going to spend a few minutes with that. But then the second part, I want us to consider how you too are part of God's story, just like this list of people, that you too could be in this list of these greetings, of, of greet those that are that are work for the Lord, right? Just like... We gather together as God's people and God has got a plan to use you in what he's doing. And so let's look at this list here. We're going to look at a few of these people together. We'll start right at the beginning in the first two verses where he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. Help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. And so Paul starts with this lady, Phoebe, and he tells you a little bit about her. You kind of get uh, a little bit of background. I think he starts there. Almost all scholars agree that he starts with Phoebe because she was almost certainly the one who brought the letter to Rome, that Paul wrote it out and got it ready and sent it to the church at Rome. And Phoebe was the carrier that brought it. 
and some of the clues that are there that help us to see this, right? Now, remember, first century, you write a letter, you want to communicate. That's the way you're going to communicate with people. But you don't just go down to the post office and drop it in the mail and it gets delivered. You got to find somebody to actually take it there, right? To take it to the church in Rome. And so Phoebe is the one that does so. And the reason we think that is this, that Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria. Centuria was the port right next to Corinth where Paul is when he's writing this letter. And so I've actually had the, the privilege of going to Corinth and being there. And the ancient city's up on a hill and it overlooks this bay. And right down where he's talking about, it's just a few miles east. And you can see, you can almost see it from the city. And that's where she was from. And so she took this letter and took it to the church at Rome. But you have to think about what that was like to leave Corinth or that area in Greece and then to go to Italy. That was not an easy trip. It was about a 600 mile by boat trip to get there. It's not like today you can hop on a plane from Athens and be in Rome in an hour. You had to go on this pretty arduous journey. And so she comes to bring this letter and you can tell when he says you may welcome her and the Lord in a way that's worthy of the saints and help her with whatever she may need from you. And so he's saying when she gets there and she brings you this letter, welcome her in. She's gone to great lengths to be there and to encourage you and to bring this letter and so meet her needs and care for her. But then I want you to think about what it says about who this woman was, who she was in the early church. And so he says, Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria. And the word that Paul uses there for servant is also the same word for deacon or deaconess. And so a deacon within the church, we have deacons here at our church are those that that uh, meet uh, needs among the body. It's a position that you have in the church that we hold that's there to help meet physical needs and things that are met. It's different from an elder. We're an elder-led church. Elder is a role for men that is in the leadership position of spiritual care for the body. And that's a different position than deacon. Uh, The reason I say that is sometimes here in the South, in different ways, those get collapsed together. Sometimes a deacon and elder get collapsed together and it becomes kind of this fuzzy thing. But the Bible actually has two different offices there, deacon and elder. And it talks about Phoebe being a deacon at the church of such centuria or a deaconess at the church of centuria. And so she was there helping meet needs within the church. She was a servant in her local body, serving those people around her. But it also talks about her being a patron, right? You see that at the end of verse two, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. She was caring for people. She was using her wealth, what she had to help serve and care for others, to send missionaries, to to help support them. And so what you have is this woman that we see uh, here is, is Paul kind of paints this picture that is that is uh, giving of not only her time and her service, uh, she's giving uh, sacrificially and the fact that she's willing to go and to take this letter and be the one that that goes to Rome on their behalf. She most likely was wealthy just in the fact that she could travel from Corinth to Rome, that she was able to do that. But then she's also a patron. She gives sacrificially of her money and what she has. And so you have this picture of of Phoebe, this woman in the faith that was doing so many things that God's using her for. And I think it's really cool when you read through this list and he starts with Phoebe our sister in the faith. He starts with a woman and he's reminding us that men and women both are equal in worth and value before the Lord. And God calls us into service to show what he is like. And he uses men and women both. And so he starts here with Phoebe, 
this woman that is doing so much for her local church and helping Paul and the mission of the gospel spreading. But then the next few verses, we start with Prissa and Aquila. You see that there in verse three it says, greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house, right? And so this Prissa and Aquila, Paul mentions them multiple times, right? And so in the epistles, the epistles are the letters that we have in the New Testament, most of them written by Paul. Paul writes several letters to different churches to encourage them to explain who Jesus is and what he's doing, oftentimes addressing specific needs that they have in their church. But often in his greetings, he mentions different people. Well, Prissa and Aquila get mentioned here and in the first letter to the Corinthians and his letter to Timothy, the second letter to Timothy. And so they come up quite a bit. And so when you start to kind of look through scripture of who these people are and why he mentions them so often, you actually get kind of the background in Acts. And so this, this I'm sure uh, a lot of you know this, but just so we're clear, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are history that tell us of the story of Jesus, eyewitness accounts of what happened from 3 BC to about 30 AD. The book of Acts takes us from, from that 30 AD at Jesus' resurrection and ascension to about 65 AD. And that tells us the spread of the church. It too is history like the gospels. But then the epistles are letters that are written to those different churches as the gospel spreading throughout. And so you can take the epistles and you can kind of line them up chronologically how they fit into the book of Acts. And so when you read Acts, you hear about different people and you see their names and you see what's going on. And then you hear Paul mention them in his letters and you go, oh, that's the people he was talking about. Well, that happens here with Prissa and Aquila. You actually are introduced to them in Acts chapter 18. And as you read through, suddenly they, they appear in the story in Acts chapter 18. And it says this in Acts chapter 18 and verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy and his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. And so it tells us that this Priscilla and Aquila, it says Prissa here. Don't let that throw you. Luke, the author of, of Acts calls her Priscilla. Paul calls her Prissa. Same name. It's like Robert and Bob, right? It's, it's one's a shorthand, same name, same people, right? And so he's talking about them and he says they, they were ones that had, had, had to flee Rome because of political strife. They came to Corinth. They got hooked up with Paul and then they began to work together. And they were working together vocationally as tent makers, but they were also working together in ministry. They were helping support Paul and what he was doing. They were coming alongside. They were helping make disciples. And so you say, see Priscilla and Aquila playing a big role in Paul's ministry and the way he's working and what he's doing. And they're alongside with him. Right after that, in Acts 18, in the, in the latter part of 18, they end up leaving Corinth and they go on to Ephesus. And it tells us as they come to Ephesus, there's a man named Apollos there. And Apollos, the, the scriptures tell us, was eloquent and he was competent in the scriptures and he was fervent in the spirit and he was preaching and teaching and he was doing these things in Ephesus. And you see this in the, the latter part of Acts chapter 18. And there as they come into the town and they meet this guy and they see him, it tells us that Priscilla and Aquila took Apollos aside and explained to him more accurately the way of Jesus. 
that he didn't have the whole of everything that had happened, that he had, what he was saying was true and it was right and God was using him and he was a believer and he was, he was preaching the scriptures, but he didn't have the fullness. And so what Priscilla and Aquila did is they take him aside and they begin to disciple Apollos. And you see them doing this. And so all of a sudden this, this sketch starts to emerge of who Priscilla and Aquila are. And so he says here, if you look closely, he talks about them and what they're doing. He says, they risked their necks for my life. And he says, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentile give thanks as well. Priscilla and Aquila were playing an important part of the gospel being spread in all these different towns. As the gospel was going out to the non-Jewish believers, the new believers as the church spread, Priscilla and Aquila were an important part of what God was doing. And he was using them in all these ways. He even says, say hello to the church that is meeting in their home. And so at this point, they're now back in Rome and he's saying, greet the church that's meeting in their home. And so it's a cool picture when you start to think about all that Priscilla and Aquila are doing. Just think about the sketch that's here, right? They, they have a church that's meeting in their home that they're hosting. And so they're opening up their home. They're making disciples, they're discipling as they go. They're using their vocation and what they do as a way to support their ministry. They're willing to pick up all their stuff and leave when it's called on to go to the next town to share the gospel. And so their whole lives are revolving around making disciples of Jesus. And they were so important to Paul. And so what you have is Phoebe, who's doing very similar work. And then you have Priscilla and Aquila that are coming alongside Paul. And so oftentimes we think of Paul planning all these churches and doing all these things like he's the lone apostle out on him all by himself. And that's just not true. He has all these people that are helping and walking with him. And so you see Phoebe and you see Priscilla and you see Aquila and the importance of them. But then there's one last one I want you to think about. And it's a little different than them because we don't know a whole lot about them, but I think it kind of expands the view of what God's doing. And so look at what it says in verse 13 when he says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and also his mother who has been a mother to me as well, right? So there's not a whole lot there, right? He just says, greet this guy, Rufus and his mom. And then he says, by the way, his mother has been like a mother to me. So I think that's such a cool picture. We don't even know her name, but there's this woman that was there that was walking with Paul and, and took him into her home and treated him like he was her own. And he says, she was like a mother to me and her son, Rufus, but we don't get a whole lot there. And so I want us just to think for a second, kind of pull back the big picture of what God's doing for just a moment. You know, in Mark chapter 15, uh, we're introduced to a man that plays very small role uh, in scripture. He's, he's in three verses and all three verses say the same thing. It's in uh, Matthew and Mark and in Luke. And it's a guy named Simon of Cyrene. I don't know if you know who Simon of Cyrene is, but Simon of Cyrene is the guy who ends up helping Jesus carry his cross to the crucifixion. And all it says about him, like in Mark chapter 15, and they compelled the passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. And that's like all you get of this guy. And so Simon the Cyrene, I want you just to think about him for just a second. Sometimes it's helpful to try to put yourself in their shoes. I had a professor in seminary that used to say, I want you to walk in their sandals. And his point was, I want you to put yourself in their shoes and really think about what they were experiencing and what they were seeing and what that must have been like. And so it says Simon of Cyrene was coming in from the country. Uh, we don't know for certain, but, but it leads a lot of 
scholars to believe that Simon was Jewish. He was probably coming in for Passover to celebrate in Jerusalem, that that's why he was on his way in. And he comes in and he gets pulled off to the side to carry Jesus' cross. A Roman soldier grabs him and says, you're going to now carry his cross. And so as was custom, if you were being crucified, you had to carry the cross beam to the site where you would be crucified. We know from the Gospels that Jesus had been flogged and beaten and tortured and all the horrible things that he had done, they had done to him. And so they pull this guy to help carry the cross. And I, and I often think about what that must have been like for Simon the Cyrene as he walks along with Jesus, helping him carry his cross to his crucifixion. Did Simon know who Jesus was? Was he aware of who he was before he even gets pulled into this? What happened as he walked along with Jesus? What that must have been like? What did he hear him say? How did he see the interactions go with Jesus as he's literally on the way to the cross? Did he stay and see what happened? Did he see the crucifixion? Did he hear Jesus say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Did he witness those things as he went along and he helped carry Jesus to the cross? And the answer is we don't know. Doesn't tell us. That's all it tells us about Simon of Cyrene, that he came along the way and he helped carry his cross. But there is one other thing that we do know, and it's in Mark's gospel in chapter 15 of verse 21. He says, they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus to carry his cross. And he tells you who his sons are. It says Alexander and Rufus. And what scholars have long said is that Mark mentions that for a couple reasons. When you mention names like that in the gospel, it was like an ancient footnote. It was a way to check your story. I'm telling you, Simon the Cyrene's the one that carried the cross. Go ask Alexander and Rufus. They'll tell you he's their dad. That's what he's saying. Go check. And so what that means is people knew who Alexander and Rufus was. They were known to the early church. And that's why Mark includes that detail. And so it's led scholars to believe that most likely, we can't say with certainty, but most likely the Rufus that Paul is greeting here in Romans chapter 16 is the son of Simon of Cyrene who helped carry Jesus' cross. And I think about that story and how that kind of comes together and what that may have been like. What did Simon go home and tell his wife and his sons about this man that he had seen and what was going on? When did Simon hear about Jesus' resurrection? When did that start to take hold in their life and they understand who Jesus was and what he'd accomplish? And we don't know those answers, but we do know that Rufus and his mother helped Paul in the mission of spreading the gospel to the nations. And Paul says, please uh, say hello to Rufus for me and his mother who's been like a mother for me. And I read that, and if you look closely, even the way he says it, he says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. And that's not unique to Rufus. Paul says this often. That would be true of you and me if you're a Christian. The Bible tells us that you are chosen in the Lord. He chose you. He's doing this work. That's a fair representation of anyone who's become a believer. But I like to think about Rufus and his dad, Simon, and how all that went together. Kind of like we talked about last week when the apostle Paul became a believer And the outward physical nature of his becoming a believer mirrored the inner spiritual reality of what was happening. Paul's walking along. God knocks him down, blinds him, says, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you? I'm Jesus. He says, why are you persecuting me? And he gets him up. 
Man comes and meets him, takes him. Paul can't see. They wash his eyes and now he can see. He goes from spiritual blindness to spiritually alive as he's going from physical blindness to being physically alive, right? Like the, the truth of, of what God is doing, you see it in Paul's, uh, in his conversion. And I think about that with Rufus. When Paul says, greet Rufus chosen in the Lord, that God chose his father, Simon, to help carry the cross of Jesus. And he would go home and tell his family about who Jesus was. And that you see this outward kind of visible marks of the way God was working and how it worked in his heart and how God used all that. You know, what a beautiful picture of the way God is working and what he's doing. And so we don't know much about Rufus and his mother except that they helped Paul in his ministry and that Rufus's mother was like a mother to Paul. And so you read those names and that's only five of the 27 that are on the list there. There's 27 names that he mentions and the churches that are associated with them. So a lot more than that, but 27 by name. And you think about each one of those people on that list has a story of how God called them into a relationship, how that they became believers, how their eyes became open to see who God is and what he's doing. And what I want us to consider this morning is you're part of God's story too. You stand in the direct line of all of these people that God went before and used and he used them for the spread of the gospel for it to go over the face of the planet and then it was passed down from generation to generation until it gets to us and we too are brought into this story. And if you've come to faith, you like Rufus have been chosen by the Lord. That he called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. That's the way Peter says it in First Peter. And he's brought you in to know who he is. And so Ephesians chapter two, I probably quote this once a month. If you've been here for any given amount of time, you're like, man, you talk about Ephesians two. It's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy caused you to become alive in Jesus. And God has opened your eyes to see him and he's brought you into his family. You went from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive because God moved in your life. And so you get to the end of that passage in Ephesians chapter two. And in verse eight, he says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. This is all God's doing. And he's brought you into us. But then he says this in verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so when he says there in Ephesians chapter two, when Paul says prepared beforehand, I think he has in mind what he said just a couple of uh, uh, paragraphs before in Ephesians chapter one, right? This is right on the heels, same line of reasoning and what he says, but right at the beginning of Ephesians chapter one, he says this, even as he talking about God, the father chose us in him, the him there being Jesus. So as the father chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself, his sons through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. That is, God set his affections on you before you were born. And if we take God's word and what he says there in Ephesians 1, it's not only before you were born, but it was before the foundation of the world. 
and that he chose you and he prepared good works for you to walk in. And he called you to himself and he gave you a a giftedness and a set of gifts that you would serve him, that these good works that he's prepared for you. He's placed you where you are with the people that are around you for his glory. He knows your name. Jesus says he knows the hairs on your head. Get my head around that. I keep thinking about, I was reading that this week and he says, uh, Luke chapter six are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten by God. There's not a sparrow that is forgotten by God ever. You're like, oh, wow. The, the immensity of the glory of who God is. But then he says right after that, why even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are more value of many sparrows. And so God, before the foundation of the world, chose you. And he called you to himself. And he's gifted you uniquely. And he's put you in the place where he's placed you. And he's surrounded you by the people that he surrounded you with. And he's placed you there. And he's created good works for you to walk in. And I read through that list of all these people. And you've got Phoebe, this wealthy woman who's using everything she has for the good of the gospel. She's giving her life away. She's giving her money away. She's traveling. She's doing all these things. You have Priscilla and Aquila. A husband and wife that are opening their home, that are discipling people, that are going wherever the gospel calls them, using their vocation, whatever money they're making for ministry. You've got Rufus, this young man, and his mother who's loving Paul as her own. And you have this list of all these different people that God is using and working. And so wherever you fit in that, However you fit in your life, and and I realize as I look around, we're all in different seasons. We're in different places right now in our lives and the way God is going to use you. And that changes from season to season. And some, some of you fit like Priscilla and Aquila. You're now at a time your kids are grown and they're out of the house and you have opportunities as a couple to go and do ministry together. To use the gifts that God's given you. Some of you are married couple that don't yet have children. Or may not have children. However, God wills that. And he's going to use you in that. Some of you have little bitty children right now. You've got a lot of babies all of a sudden. And that's not easy. That is a difficult season. It's a difficult season to hear somebody stand up and preach and go, and God's prepared good works for you to walk in. And you're going, I'm just trying to keep my head above the water. What are you talking about? It makes me think of a comedian. And he used to say, having your third child is like you're drowning and someone hands you a child, right? It feels that way when you have two or three kids and you have them close together and all of a sudden you go, how are we supposed to be walking and good? Well, I'll tell you, you disciple your children in the Lord. You love the people that are right in front of you, right where you are. And so wherever you are, whatever season you're in, whether you're young and single and you have more time to give away, whether you've got lots of kids in your house right now or your kids are outside of your house, God has prepared good works for you to walk in. He has uniquely gifted you for his glory and your good. And so when we talk about how that looks in each one of these people on this list, I think what you see, the, the, if we would go look at all of them that were being used in these ways, The simple truth is all of them were seeking the Lord. 
God, use me for your glory. And so ask God to use you in the ways that he wants to use you. There's a glorious picture that God has invited us into his family and he's called all of us to be part of what he's doing, no matter where you come from or what your gifts are. He uniquely knows you and created you to be used for his glory. And so I'll just end here this morning. I think of all this and it always takes me back uh, to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. Chapter 11, we often refer to as the roll call of the faithful. And it's just a list of people that God was using in the Old Testament. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, by faith, by And it goes through and it tells you all these different people. And it gets to the end of that and you get to the beginning of Hebrews 12. And it says, therefore, since we're surrounded such a great cloud of witnesses. You go, whoa, that's so cool. All these people, all these names we read are in heaven looking down, cheering us on. This great crowd of witnesses that's like, you only got a little while, keep going. And right after that, he says, let us lay aside all the sins and things that cling so close to us and run this race with endurance, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That we get this breath, we get this moment of time of these good works that God has created for us to walk in. And so let us lay aside all things and walk in the things that God has created for us. That we too get to be part of his family and what he's doing. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this whole list of our brothers and sisters that have gone before us. We thank you that as we meet today, that our brothers and sisters the world over are meeting to praise you in your name. We thank you for that. We thank you that there are so many that you have called to yourself that love you and know you. We pray that we would be faithful right where you've placed us. I thank you that every person here, that you uniquely have gifted them, that you know the hairs on the head, you know their name, before the foundations of the world, you called them, and that you have works for us to walk in. Give us the, the vision to see what you have for us. I pray that we would be seeking you daily and following you wherever that leads for your glory and our good. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.